patch here where I live. <laughs> There's no snow. <laughs> um, yeah, but usually at Christmas time we have a barbecue outside. So we put on the grill and everybody, um, we even bring vegan and vegetarian stuff to our grills as well. So we cater for everybody. But um, yeah, we often have a barbecue. We sit around uh, lying on the grass, sort of, you know, digesting our Christmas lunch out on the lawn. <laughs> or we go down to the beach. The beach is great on Christmas Day because most people are at home celebrating with their families. So if you go to the beach, you might get an entire beach to yourself. It's absolutely beautiful. But on Boxing Day, you cannot even get in near the sand. Everybody heads to the beach on Boxing Day because it's a holiday. So, um, yeah. You do know what Boxing Day is. In the States, yes, right? I you do. Guys... I know, I know, I know. I know the tradition. I know the old tradition. I know about the old English tradition of servants and masters switching jobs on Boxing Day, and there's all kinds of weird mm. stuff like that. What I found out, and it's significant because of the date, do you know what the 12th day of Christmas is? You know, in the song? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that date lands on? The date that it lands on. Uh, is it is it the sixth or the hang on? Twenty four minus twelve, right? So right. It it's 12. it's the sixth. <laughs> it's the sixth of January. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh my god. Um, because you know you don't think about the dates when you listen to the song. Mm. But I don't remember. I was. I don't, I, um, somebody is there something was, significant about that date, historically? Well, in, in America there is. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, the day that the riot happened at the Capitol. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and when I think about <coughs> the song and the happiness and all that stuff, the 12th day of Christmas. And I'm like, no, don't ruin it. <laughs> you know, actually, I think if we, if we, I think this is interesting because I think if we look hard enough or far enough, we can probably find tragic historical events on every day of the year, right? Yeah. And some of them are bigger than others. And I think in life, it's, we assign meaning to things. And um, sure, I, I'm not, dis, I'm not, um, trying to make light of any tragedies that happen in anyone's life because I know that they have a big impact. But, I, you know, just like that, so this is a Christmas song and then we can assign a tragic event on that day because we know it happened on that day, right? But I think if we look through the entire year, and I think this is part of navigating our life process, is that we need to choose which perspective we're going to have on any on any event um, so that we can navigate our way through lives without getting buried in, you know, a lot of negative things um, because there are you know there is a lot of turmoil and difficulty in the world and I think part of being an individual and getting through that is figuring out how you know the things that help you to navigate um, navigate through life and things that can help keep you in a happy place so that you can function so I mean Christmas is, is quite a loaded event we're going down a whole rabbit hole here aren't we you know for some people Christmas has tragedies associated with some people it's happy and I think that um and that can be the same with any other time of the year as well. well but yeah. I know when talking to my readers, one of the things they say is that when they're going through tragedies, they find fantasy books really help them oh, yeah. because it helps take take them out of their difficult emotions. It puts them in a happy place 
and then when they get back out of the book, they feel like they're better able to cope with whatever it is that they're facing. So, well, you're yeah. going to another world, you, you know, because fantasy is all about world building and and different worlds that you're going to, whatever kind of world it is. Yours, the worlds you build are dragon world, but there's also elf world, or there's uh-huh. witch world, or <laughs> or vampire worlds, you know, urban <laughs> fantasy, or you've got um, shooting between the stars, or science fiction. But I think, um, so one of the things I try to do with my books is make them about real emotions. So I think going into fantasy doesn't mean you escape your emotions. You escape your immediate environment for a little bit of time, and then I think while you're in there, you actually have time to process the difficult emotions. You, you put a little bit of space between whatever situation you're confronting and and um, and your emotional reaction to it, and you can actually work through some of your emotions while you're reading. You know, like you know, you cry when people die in the book, or you laugh when something funny happens, and suddenly you've just got a little bit of little bit of distance from what's actually right in front of your face and and you're you're off doing something where your brain gets a bit of downtime i guess gets a bit of time to process stuff happening in the background does that make sense yeah actually um actually what i I was reading was um did you did you read the marple book that came out with uh uh it's 12 modern mystery writers writing about miss marple Oh, neat! I love Agatha Christie. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I enjoyed it. I was I wasn't sure how it's gonna feel about. Uh, a couple of the writers didn't get Miss Marple, but the rest of them did. Um, mm. But it, it's a lot of writers, and they're all big, professional, well-known mystery writers. So uh, some people really get her, and they're perfect, and then other people kind of make her too modern and too aggressive. I don't mean 1970s modern, which is what the books are set during Miss Marple time, but they have her like 2023 modern, uh, 2023 modern old lady instead of a 1970s modern old lady. It's just, it uh, kind of, you go, "Ah." (laughs) And that would be a little bit jarring because she's timeless. Even though, you know, she's she sort of feels, yeah, she is that sort of 70s old lady as the character, and she has particular mannerisms and things she does, and you just expect that when you read Miss Marple, you don't expect it to suddenly sound like she's she's in 2023. Exactly, so. exactly. But there's the best part of it, Eileen, is the people who are narrate. they have different uh, narrators for each story. They have Miriam Margulies. They have Alexandre, what's her name? She played River Song. Yep. Uh, they have Imogene Stubbs. They have... Um, what an amazing cast. I know. Oh, and there's... Um, oh, I can't remember her name. She was in a, um, Mary, a gold, Exotic Marigold Hotel. She played the one who uh, wanted to have sex. No, I'm not familiar with that movie. Oh, you didn't see the movie. Okay. Anyway, she's a really good, talented actress, and I'm blanking out on her name. Anyway, they have, and it's all these great actors. It's like, oh my God. This is like, I didn't realize that when I started listening to the audiobook, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be, that's something, um, that's something that you 
I mean, it's your forte. You're an actress and you, you love voice acting. And, I mean, you know, because you do a lot of that online. And so that's the sort of thing that, would, you know, you find a book, you, something you enjoy, and then you find that there's this extra bonus of all this cool stuff on top of it, of all these great narrators. I'm just seeing if there's a list of um, narrators for Mar- Marple. It comes up with all the Agatha Christie um I know it says all the authors, but I don't know. I don't. When I looked it up on Goodreads, it, it said all the authors of the stories, but it didn't say the narrators. I didn't realize that each story had a narrator until I started listening Ooh, to the audio. I've got it for you, Alex Kingston. That's it. That's the one I was River Song. <laughs> but that's not the one I couldn't think of. Adioa Ando, Miriam Ma. Oh, you're gonna you're getting me to pronounce all these names. Miriam Margulies, yes. That how you say Harry it? Potter Margulies. and and all these great shows. <laughs> yeah, uh, Celia Emery. That's it. That's Chance. the one I couldn't remember. Celia Emery's one I couldn't Celia remember. Emery, yeah. Adrian Scarborough, Anna Chancellor, Alison Steadman, Jodie May, Kathy Tyson, and Raymond Tickerham. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's such a, a little star-studded cast. I know, and so you're hearing these amazing actors playing Miss Marple. It's so cool, and so cool well, for them too, because like Alex Kingston is much younger than Miss Marple, but she gets to play Miss Marple. So, you know, that's really cool. <laughs> so, do they make the voices sound older when they're acting out the part, or do you just get used to hearing that particular voice? Because I know with audio, sometimes, because um, I love Audible and audiobooks, and um, sometimes I'm listening, and the beginning is, is quite jarring sometimes because you hear a voice that you're not expecting, um, and then you get used to that style of narrator. And I remember there was a book I was listening to where suddenly they had the male's point of view come into the second book, and it hadn't been in the first book. And the male British actor was acting out the part of the female in his, in his chapter, so it wasn't switching back and forth between characters, but the chapter about um, the chapter from the male's perspective, and he put on this sort of pseudo female voice, and it really jarred me because it wasn't the American actress that I had been used to hearing, you know, hearing that voice of that character. It might have been like in book three or four, because I remember it had been quite some time. And yet, when I'd first listened to that female actress, I was oh, her voice is not what I was expecting. Um, but I got used to it, and she became the character in my mind. You know, it's quite yeah. It's, quite it, it's really interesting how you're because that's one of the reasons I love audiobooks and radio plays and stuff like that. It's because it's all your imagination. It's like mm. reading a book. You know, mm. it's like when you find out that you you've read the book and you find out somebody you really don't think that's got cast in your favorite part in the book. Or it's like a movie where you you think, oh, that actor poss- can't possibly play that person when it's an adaptation from a book. That's what I mean. And then you get yeah. used to that person, and every time you think of the book, you then forget the memories you had when you first read the book, but you think of the actors and actresses who now play the parts as being that character now. You know, so it's it's quite fun. When I first read um, the Da Vinci Code. My yep. vision of Robert was Indy, and it, it was Indiana Jones. It was Harrison Ford. That's oh, that's who, so funny. <laughs> that's who I could see. It was Harrison Ford. And they, when they did Tom Hanks, n- nothing against Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is a wonderful actor, and I adore him. 
but it's, it doesn't match with Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's a totally different look. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that Harrison plays professor, you know, Indiana Jones is a professor. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, um, so you might be quite a visual person. So when somebody phones me, even if it's a telemarketer and I've never seen them before, I instantly see a face in my mind when I hear a voice. And um, so I'm very visual. But there are people that don't see anything. So yeah. as an author, um, and I'm trying to remember what that syndrome is called, where you don't, um, where you're a non-visual person. There's a, oh, I should remember it because my son's got it. So my son said to me, he said, Mum, when I read your books, I like it because you describe the setting a little bit. And I'm like, well, I don't step back and actually describe the setting per se. I just have the character move through it. And as the characters move through it, um, then you get to a sense of what's happening. You know, the trees are rustling and the birds are tweeting and all that sort of thing. And um, that's because the character's experiencing it. So that's one of the things I like to do in my books. I like to immerse the reader in the experience. But he said to me, Mum, I don't get pictures when I read. I never realized other people get pictures in their minds. And I, um, and I thought, wow, that's such a rich part of my life. Yeah, so too. even when I get a random phone call, I've got a face in my head. Um, and when I meet people after meeting them first on the phone or you know, hearing their voice and I actually meet them, I think, oh, they look different. And they always look different. I'm never going to be able to pick people. I'm not psychic. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pick people just by hearing their three words of, on the telephone. But you know, two or three words in, I've already got an image of them in my head. Um, so I think that's an interesting you know, um, intersection. As an author, I provide, you know, the, the landscape in my books. I provide the, the what I want to, I don't mean landscape per se. I just mean you're providing a backdrop for people's imaginations. Mm -hmm. And so whether they're visual or magic. So my son said he just reads words. The words go in and out and then he understands what they mean. He loves fiction, but I, you know, I can't imagine actually reading without that visual those visual pictures being built but since I found that out about him I make sure I put enough information on the page so that people can experience what it's like um, through however they however they read whether it's visually or um, or not so yeah so that's an intersection between the author providing enough information for the person's imagination to take over really I think um, that it doesn't have to be pictures it has to be whatever way the person senses it. I 100%. mean, it, it's like um, people like your son, they see words dancing in their head. He probably has a really high comprehension rate when he reads because all he focuses on is the words. Mm. And he still has an experience out of it. And he still enjoys books. Yeah, exactly. really enjoys them. You know? um, and yet for someone like me who's extremely visual, it's hard to imagine my brain working like that, you know, because it works so differently. And I think that's the beauty is that, you know, we can provide an, an adventure, an exciting adventure, and people will experience it in their own way. How many times have you read um, in a book where it says that the character has blonde hair, blue eyes, and yet you imagine them with dark hair and brown eyes because that's what happens? You know? I know, I know. I, I, I've done that. I mean, I, I saw Hermione so differently in Harry Potter than the way she described her from right. from yeah. the way she talks and everything um, I, I, I yeah it, it's just 
it's a quirk of having an imagination that's visual. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, you were talking before about different voice actors, and I have wondered, you know, how would you play a dragon? Because I have a lot of characters in my books who are dragons, and my readers love dragons. They love hopping on dragon back, fastening their saddles, and, you know, racing through the sky, soaring over the lakes and mountains, and, you know, diving in, in through the foliage to land in the forest. And so how would you go about portraying a dragon if someone tasked you with acting that part out? See, it wouldn't be the, the fact that the character is a dragon. It's more what is the character about. Who is the character? What do they feel? How do they say things? Where are they coming from? What What's their motivation? What, where's their, what's their vision? Um, and that's a perfect sort of answer because in my world there are dragons who are cheeky, dragons who are snarky. So one of them has, um, Aerob is a firm favorite amongst my readers and he has, um, his writer is Roberto who's gone through a very difficult time and has a very dark past. And so, Roberto tends to get a little bit morose now and then. He thinks, oh, no, the world's ending. Oh, this is happening. This is terrible. And Erob always just uses his snarky little sense of humor, his little dry humor to sort of to perk him up and pull him out of himself. And so I guess that's the secret, isn't it, when you're acting? It's about getting into the, the character's um, emotions all, that's and everything. figuring out how to bring that across. It's all character. That's all, it's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the character looks like. I mean, it matters emotionally. It's their emotional feeling. Let's say they are extreme. They hate the way they look. They 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 want to have straight hair. They have curly hair. They have a nose that points at the end. They don't. They have a no nose that goes up. They know they have a nose that goes down. And any of those things can make the person feel bad. But but that's only like a part of it. It really has nothing to do with. Looks. It's about their emotional journey. Yes, that's yeah. what it's all about. Exactly. So, I say that the reason I write is I write in you know fabulous worlds, but I write with emotions that matter. Mm -hmm. And so that's my my whole um, ethos as an author is to make a difference in my readers' lives. So when COVID hit, I had people writing to me from. I had one particular person who wrote to me from uh, the UK from England saying that their son hadn't wanted to get out of bed that he basically just shut down he couldn't handle the isolation he found it very very difficult and oh, this is a bit of a tough topic but she wrote and said I knew he liked dragons so I hunted around and I found your books online now my books are targeted for young adults but they deal with very real themes in life, life and they deal with um there's a lot of there's grief and there's tragedy and things that happen in my books. There's a lot of joy, a lot of excitement and adrenaline. But this lad found that reading those adventures gave him hope for the future. And so he, he read them. He read them again and again. He started getting out of bed. He got up. He started participating in life. And he just saw how the heroes and heroines went through such a difficult time, but that they kept getting back up on their feet again to keep going. And I think that we all need heroes in life. Um, and so by reading, people can process those difficult emotions. They can see other people going through um, I was going to say similar circumstances, but the circumstances are not similar because you don't have a dragon landing on your front lawn and taking you <laughs> off to fight monsters, but a similar emotional experience. And I think that's the power of fiction. Mm -hmm. That's the power of a great movie. It inspires you 
to go out and do better, to go out or just, it just helps you know you're not alone. You know, whatever it is, the emotional message that people need, they can find that in, in fantasy worlds. Sorry, I sound like I sound a little bit evangelical here. <laughs> it's, I understand. I, I understand where you're coming from. The thing is, it's like right now um, one of my uh, book clubs is doing Victorian books. So I've been reading a lot of Victorian books. And I'm trying to tackle writers that I hadn't read before for the book club. And I... I want to read Hardy, but I don't want to read Hardy because everything he writes seems to be depressing, and I really don't need the extra depression. But yeah, he's so, so I think you have to pick. You know, you have to pick. Even if it's a a book club read, you have to pick what's right for you. And if you know there's a book that's going to make life difficult for you, then turn to something that's going to help lift you and give you strength and, and the energy to continue on. Yeah, I picked Trollope. <laughs> Charles Good. is funny and sarcastic. Yep, <laughs> and, that, and that makes you laugh. You know, we all need those uh, lovely little laughing hormones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I it it depends on the book. You know, like Charles Dickens is very funny, and there's some really sad and tragic things in it. Yeah, but but he's funny. He can be. He can um, just look at A Christmas Carol. <laughs> I mean, Scrooge is funny. Even yep. though he's an old curmudgeon, he's funny. But the book is full of tragedy, right? Yes, very much. I mean, that's pretty much Victorian. You know, almost all yeah. of them have something, really. Unless you're reading, like, um, no, Time Machine has tragedy, Sherlock Holmes has tragedy. No, they all have tragedy. So <laughs> our, lives, our lives have tragedy, right? Right. So there are things that happen that are difficult. There are things that happen on the journey in life that we don't expect. Things that totally, um, you know, sideswipe us. And part of life is learning to deal with those things. And so I think that in fiction, that's where I face difficult emotions head on in my books, but always with hope, always, you know, the, uh, the characters get into terrible scrapes where you think that's the end, and there's always hope, there's always a way to push through. And I firmly believe that in life as well. Um, I've been through a lot of tragedy in my life. We've had all sorts of things um, happen to our family that have been not what we expected. And I think that learning to deal with those things and learning to move through them is a, is a really essential skill. And I'm not perfect at it. you know. But I look back and I think, wow, there's, there's a lot you can learn by... Um, yeah, by, by facing things and trying to move through them. See, I think it's when, when we try to hide from them, when we try to push our emotions down, when we're unable to express them, when we push things aside and pretend they're not happening. Some of that is survival technique, some of that you need at particular times in your life, right? right. But that can also cause a lot of dysfunction and a lot of, um, you know, they say depression can be helped when people can actually express the emotions they're feeling. And I think those emotions are really scary. You know? That's why um, I don't want to read Hardy is because, is it doesn't it doesn't there's one book that they say is a, what they call it his happy book which I may read uh, far from the matting crowd but the rest of his books there's no hope it's just sadness it's just tragic it just oh. tears your heart out every single book yeah and I'm like and then you get, get to the end of it and so I think I don't mind having my heart torn out by a book and some of my readers have cried when they get to the final battle scenes in Riders of Fire which is my dragon um 
write a series. Um, the one that we're launching on the Kickstarter is a deluxe edition. So there are difficult scenes in that book, but they're always tempered with hope. Like I always want to read my le- re- leave my readers feeling better than when they start the book. And that's so essential to me is that I see my role in the world as, as taking people through a journey and bringing them to a better place, you know? Yeah, I just, yeah. So, I mean, so you may need to turn away from those books yeah. and turn to something that you know is, is going I'm, to help you I'm a, I don't mind tragedy as long as it's balanced. You know, like Dickens. Dickens is very balanced. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of tragedy so, and there's a lot of comedy. You know, it's, it's like, it's more like life. <laughs> there are a few different types of reader. So there are readers that read, and as they're reading, they're dissecting the world, and they're looking at all the logic of how does this world work, and, you know, would you really be able to find a cab in downtown New York at such short notice in the urban fantasy story, or, you know, and they're analyzing everything as they read, or, oh, how can a dragon fly if it's built like this? It might need... So, you know, I've had um, people have give me big lectures about exactly how the aerodynamics should work for dragons, you know, and that's all fascinating, great stuff. There's those sort of readers. There are readers that um, dive into everything. They feel like empathetic readers who feel every emotion that you put on the page. So if you, um, if I say something like, you know, her heart hammered or her heart slammed against your ribs, their heart starts, their heart rate starts speeding up. Mm -hmm. If the character breaks out in a sweat, they nearly break out in a sweat themselves. If there's tension, they're sitting there gripping their book or their e-reader with their arms tense. You know, so um, it can be quite a visceral experience for those people. Some people will have that to more of an extreme degree. Others will have it less. And I think that that's part of the recognition is some of the worlds um, that are built or some of the stories that are built with a real um, sort of almost scientific approach to how you build the story and, and the sort of... Um, I, I shouldn't use the word nerdy, but I love nerds, but, you know, like a real nerdy approach to the world building. Other stories are more about the emotional journey of the characters. And I think that I know those are my sort of readers. My sort of readers are people who like being rushed up to the top of a cliff, dropping down the other side, getting an adrenaline rush, um, who who love yeah, falling in love, experiencing tragedy, but moving through it with a sense of hope. And, of course, with dragons. dragons. I mean, that's... That's, there's a dragon, you know, they talk about the elephant in the room. There's a dragon in the room, and mm. we, haven't, we haven't addressed it yet. <laughs> the thing is, you know, you made me think about the dy- aerodynamics of a dragon. You know, if we went by aerodynamics, a bee wouldn't fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same. Uh, really? Yes, a bee, according to aerodynamics, should not fly. Right, because it's round and it's not. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of all the reasons now. Uh, it, just, it just, there's all, uh, the the big heavy bottom should be dragging it down, right? You know where yep. the stinger is and everything. Um, that that will be dragging it down. There's all kind. Of, there's it, it was. I was like, I don't remember. I was watching some show and it was regular. It was a movie or something. And one of the characters were talking about that. And I looked it up. And yeah, that's true. If you look it up, look up B and uh and and aerodynamics, and it will tell you that according to the way humans look at aerodynamics, a bee should not fly. Also, a hummingbird shouldn't fly. Those are the two. Wow. That's interesting. Hummingbirds are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I so love hummingbirds. I was thinking all of your listeners will be out there typing into their phones. <laughs> 
why should a bee not fly? So why should a dragon not fly? But why not? Yeah. You know, I mean, when, well, you're, when you're writing fantasy books, it's our job to, to um, I can't say the impossible, because of course dragons exist, right? All of my readers will tell you they exist. They have dragons <laughs> hiding in their wardrobes. <laughs> It has something to do with how fast their wings go. I think mm-hmm. that's that's what breaks the thing about the aerodynamics is that the their wings make enough uh, speed and draw up enough uh, thrust that it, yeah. it, that's that's why bees and hummingbirds fly is because of how fast their wings go. So now you're telling me I have to have my my dragon's wings flapping at a million revolutions a minute. <laughs> well, when you watch a, watch a hummingbird. Yeah, no, I have. <laughs> well, we don't have them. They're not natives to New Zealand. We have a whole variety of native birds. They have gorgeous birds, including the kiwi. Yeah. Um, and the, did you know the kiwi has a very long beak, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like a foot long or, or maybe a bit longer, depending on the size of the bird. But... Um, did you know they have the shortest bill in the world? No. Because, yeah, it's amazing because the bill is actually measured from the nostrils to the tip of, you know, the beak. And our um, uh, the kiwi's nostrils are right at the tip so that it can smell as it ferrets around. So it's... Is, that's interesting. No, I never no, would think that. No, it's, physically it looks like one of the longest beaks, but um, the scientific definition means that it's got the, the shortest I can't remember if the term is beak or bill so I know I, I'd say beak but, I'd say yeah. beak yeah has the shortest beak in the world I, think, go. I think beak goes Good. Mm. we're going to we're going to we're going to judge beak yeah right. we'll, we'll leave beak here so it's interesting because a kiwi is a bird and yet a lot of people around the world do not know that kiwi fruit was named after, after the, bird. the bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had this conversation before, and also kiwis are New Zealanders, so I am a kiwi. Um, and also, the bird was named because of the cry it makes. It sort of goes kiwi um, in the bush at night. They're they're quite rare. We don't get them around the city where I live, but um, yeah, that's the sound that it makes. And I've heard that once, staying in a little tent in the middle of a mosquito-infested river. <laughs> Late at night. There's another bird that's named after the sound because um, I watch My Life is Murder, and when they moved to New Zealand, native New Zealander Lucy Lawless, uh, as as the character, explains to the Australian character that moved with her that, oh, that's that's this bird because of the sounds he makes. It's the name of the bird. I can't remember what the name of the bird is, though, because it's been a while since I saw that episode. I, I think, I think, yeah, I, no, a tui, a kia, a oh, kia, that's it, that must, kia. that must right. be it, yeah, that must be it, yeah. <laughs> so kias are mountain parrots, they're absolutely, they just look like this sort of green color, and then when they fly, they lift their wings, and there's this beautiful, brilliant sort of blood red under their wings, oh, it's even brighter, absolutely stunning um, birds, but they will land on your car if you're parked in the South Island where they, they live, so New Zealand has... Uh, sorry, I keep thinking I need to speak more slowly and clearly. New Zealand has um, three main islands, and two of them are very large. It can take um, 12 hours to drive um, the length of um, one of those islands. So, you know, large not large compared to the States, of course, but large for an island. So in the South Island, the Kias are natives, and there's a big chain of Alps that runs through the South Island, these Southern Alps, we call them. 
alpine territory and the Kia live there. And if you go skiing or you go park your car up in the mountains, you can come back and all of the rubbers around your windscreen are gone. They sit there and they pick, like they pick off all the rubbers, they destroy things, but people love them because they're so playful and cheeky. Um, yeah, and they're a bit of a menace for vehicles. You know, I've seen them snap car aerials, <laughs> aerials on the cars. Oh my God. Do also, yeah, they're just curious and they, they go play with a parked car. <laughs> you come back a, a week later after a skiing jaunt and it's I've, I've heard of bears doing that, but not birds. <laughs> Bears are like that. Bears are like that. They will like uh, uh, just they're just being playful. They will take the mirror off a car because they don't understand what it is, and they're just oh, this is interesting. I can see myself. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> they can see another bear, and they want to talk to them. So I wonder what a dragon would do to a car. What do you think, Terry? Well, they could burn it. Uh, <laughs> they could definitely do that. It's, it's, um, uh, they could uh, lift it up. They uh, could land on the roof as a use as a landing pad. They could take it it's as they, flat they could, as a pancake. They could pick it up and make it fly. Um. Actually, I have that in one of my other books. We have um, Dragon Shifters Horde, which um, is a trilogy about young adults who can shift into dragons. One of them actually picks up a guy in a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's gone through a portal back into medieval time, and he's driving. He's stolen this um, Dragon Shifters uh, red red sports car. <laughs> so candy apple red. So he um, flies over and picks it up and gives him gives him a rattle and a shake. But yeah. So yeah. Yeah, there's lots. I mean, that's what I see with dragons. And, yeah. Yeah, but my Riders of Fire series isn't set in a modern world, so they don't have cars, right? It's I know. I was just world. thinking that because uh, dragons can lift uh, so much, they're they're very strong, so they could lift a car. That's all. <laughs> I haven't had them. I haven't had them lift a horse and wagon yet. I think the horse would be terrified. But oh, yeah. I do have a dragon in my series that's always making jokes about camels because um, this dragon is in the desert, in the wastelands. It's called. He lives in the desert and um, is always making jokes about the camels. You know, so one of the little desert assassins who um, ends up. It, I can't. I cannot destroy the story by giving spoilers, but in Sea Dragon, book six in my Riders of Fire series, the whole focus is on a small character that we see just for a couple of scenes in book one, and um, she ends up bonding with a sea dragon, and this dragon is always making jokes about the camels. Can he flame them to make them run a little bit faster? He's sick of, you know, eating fish. Could he try camel sometime? <laughs> and she's like, no, they're our transport. We use them. They're our friends. And so there's always a lot of jokes about the camels there. I love that. I love that. That's so funny. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think, you know, dragons must be very, I just think there's a lot of diversity there. <laughs> yeah, and also I have different personalities for all of the dragons. So, you know, some of them are, are very regal and um, and haughty, and some of them are cheeky. We've got one guy, Kieran, who's a prankster in my book. We haven't even talked about the main characters. <laughs> Here I am telling you about all the side characters. But Kyrian's a prankster, and so he has bonded with an, a really playful dragon, and they get up to all sort of pranks. Um, Kyrian is someone who actually has a lot of tragedy happen in his life. He tries his, he tries things, and he's, you know, when they go into battle, he tries the craziest stunts. He has the most harebrained ideas about, oh, this might help the situation. Now, the good thing is that half of the time he's right, and he saves the day. But the other half of the time, 
things backfire, and sometimes there's tragic consequences. But often, you know, often he's doing the right thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's fun as well. And so his dragon's playful. That's her personality. Um, Azara's the main character. I've told you a little bit about Erob, who was Roberto. He's one of the main characters. So Erob, you know, is very valiant, very courageous, very loyal, but he also has this real snarky sense of humour. Um, and my readers love Erob because of that. And he just, you know, Roberto's going through a difficult time and he just makes a wee comment and jolts him out of it, which is great. But the, the main dragon in, in scene one is um, Azara, is a young girl who lives in a valley where it's a crime to even talk about dragons. So that's a catchphrase from, catchphrase from my book. In Lush Valley, it's a crime to even talk about dragons. <laughs> and so, yes. Yeah, she goes for a walk in the forest and she meets a dragon who she doesn't know has come to get her mm-hmm. <laughs> specifically and then the whole story unfolds that her parents were actually dragon riders and her mother committed a heinous crime and disappeared years ago and hid in the sleepy valley where dragons are shunned and where people aren't even sure if they exist and so then um, you know, so Zerusha's personality, she's regal. She's the queen of the dragons. And, uh, you know, and she's she also has a good sense of humor, but she's quite a regal, haughty sort of dragon. Yeah, so you get a lot of different personalities happening there. I like that. A lot of fun. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming close to the end of the show, so I want you to explain about the Kickstarter and what happens and all that good stuff. Okay. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. So Kickstarter means that you can have a, have a great idea about something you want to bring to life and then people will go and um, support you on the platform by checking out your idea and if they would like one of those products, then they can, they can pre-order it and when you reach a particular funding goal, which you set at the beginning of the project, then you can go and use the funds to actually create those products and ship them. So in short, we have a deluxe collector's edition of Riders of Fire coming out. So you've got Azara, in the book who didn't even know dragons exist and she suddenly becomes the queen's rider and has to shape up and um, luckily she has a dragon master she can rely on but rumours say that she'd be better off with the enemy and that's Roberto um, the dragon master so it's it's a mad romp through a dragon um, you know a world with lots of dragons it's all about riders there are monsters that have come through a world gate so we have Baroks, which are, are monsters, and I'm really excited about this Kickstarter because um, for the first time, we've actually had an artist, I've commissioned an artist to draw a Tharok. So we've never, the readers have never been able to actually see my perception of what these monsters look like. And with this Kickstarter, we're having art in it. It's a, it's a faux leather-bound um, book with golden dragon and a rider on the front, so there's gold foil and it's going to have gilt edges and a pretty book ribbon for a bookmark and lots of art in the book. And um, so on Kickstarter, there's a video explaining what the book's about. It's me chatting with my colourful rainbow hair. I guess your listeners can't see that. <laughs> um, and there's a, there's a little bit about the story and there's about the sort of goals that we'd like to meet to be able to bring the book to life. And it's been an amazing... Um, been amazing pulling this together we've got um art from four different artists around the world hopefully um we've got um the one who's done the cover there's one that's just starting on some character sketches and we're just going to wait and see how the funding goes before we roll out more of those um and then we have a talented artist from turkey um who um has said he'd love to be involved with the project 
So we're just going to see. We On Kickstarter, you set a base goal. As you hit a goal, um, then the project comes to life. And nobody... Um, so when you pre-order it, once the project comes to life, you know that you're going to actually get the goods. If the project doesn't come to life, you don't lose any money because your order doesn't go through until the project is finished. Um, and then... Does that make sense? I'm sort of... <laughs> thousand ideas at once yeah that's, so we've got all these different true. artists yeah yeah that's, that's so, right. sorry <laughs> I said that's right that's the way it works <laughs> yeah that's the way it works so so um so we have if we reach higher funding levels we can commission other artists but at the moment there are three who've already done art for the project so that's that's really exciting and um, my readers are excited to see these books come to life in a beautiful deluxe edition and um, yeah it's been it's been great to sort of ask them what they'd like in the books and and to work with them to figure out a, a product that they're really going to enjoy cool um, now uh, could you give the website and um, for the Kickstarter also your website and all the social media you have. Okay, um, that's that's a big long list. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so on the Kickstarter, if you go into Kickstarter, which is kickstarter.com, um, and you can search on either Eileen Mueller, which is E-I-L-E-E-N-M-U-E-L-L-E-R, or you can search on Riders of Fire. So Rider, as in a dragon rider, of fire and then the Kickstarter should pop up. So it's kickstarter.com forward slash projects forward slash Eileen Muller author forward slash writers of fire omnibus deluxe edition dragon rider fantasy. So that's a big long website, but I will send that to you. Um, my website is eileenmullerauthor.com. I don't actually have anything about the Kickstarter up there, so you've just reminded me I'll need to go put that on. Um, I am on Facebook under Eileen Muller author, and I'm on Instagram. Um, under Eileen Muller. I think I've got some underscores in that one. I always have to quickly look it up to remember. Um, yeah, EileenMullerAuthor.com. Uh, sorry, .com. Eileen Muller Author. That is my handle on TikTok and on Instagram. Um, I'll just have a quick look to tell you. On Instagram, I have Eileen underscore Muller underscore Author. So that's my Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Eileen Muller author. <laughs> so there's a common theme coming through here, Facebook threads, all over the place. On Twitter, um, I have a different handle because I set up Twitter a long time ago and I couldn't fit Eileen. There's an artist called Eileen Muller who is on Twitter and she got what I wanted, which was Eileen Muller. She was got there first. So mine is Eileen Muller NZ or NZ for New Zealand, um, all in, in one. So at the time, I couldn't put author because your Twitter handle had to be shorter than Eileen Mueller author. It wouldn't fit. So yeah, that's Mueller for Americans. Um, I lived in Switzerland, so I pronounce it Mueller. Um, but yeah, Eileen Mueller is uh, um, how most people pronounce my name. Um, yeah, so what is it about this deluxe edition, collector's edition, um, that sort of, that's, it's just gotten me so fired up. Um, I mean, the, the artwork is beautiful the gold is a golden dragon it's all gold foil and it's um charging out of it you've seen the cover sherry yeah it's gorgeous what do you think of it it's gorgeous i actually have a weakness for deluxe edition so don't ask me <laughs> <laughs> i know how do we indulge in that weakness <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, i got I, I i i uh, i've gotten a few books just because they're so beautiful. Um, 
like, I own two copies. Do I really need a deluxe the cop uh, edition of this? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's a thing, but there are people out there that absolutely love deluxe editions, and also there are people out there that just love the series so much and want to support me. So I'm very lucky um, to have a you know a great readership across the world. I've had hundreds of thousands of people read my books. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that you know this will fly. We've um, we've only been open a few hours. Um, it launched ooh, not quite 12 hours ago, and this is. By the time you go to air, it will be a bit longer, of course. Um, but yeah, and we've got, you know, we've had a good solid start. So I'm hoping the project comes to life. It looks like it's going to, and that we're able to bring lots of wonderful bells and whistles, you know, all sorts of gorgeous things. Like, um, yeah, what can we add? So let me tell you about some of the features of the actual book. So, you know, there's the world. First, there's the world building and the, and the whole series, and then there's sort of like the book features. So I've got dragons, riders, mages who can fling fire with elemental magic, uh, lots of political intrigue. There's some really gritty scenes, and then there's lots of fun scenes. There's romance. You've got a courageous heroine who um, my readers love, Azara. And I kept thinking, why do they love her so much? Um, and they talked to me about it and said that it's because she never gives up. She just gets hit with all of these obstacles and she never says never. She's always looking for a way to get out of her situation and to make things better. Always looking for a way through even when things seem difficult. Uh, and then we've got the actual book itself. You know, this, oh, so there's ep epic battles, you know, um, crazy monsters, there's fun scenes, like there's scenes, that, there's lots of humor and camaraderie and found family and things like that as well. And then we have the Deluxe Illustrated Edition, which will have um, custom chapter headers, so there'll be special headings on the top of each of the chapters. There's beautiful title pages for each of the book. We're using some of the original art from the original covers and some gorge the gorgeous new font that our um, designer has provided. And there'll be, you know, we'll have photos that, that people can go and look at um, on your site gold foil and leather as we've mentioned um, we're looking at getting hubs on the spine you know how those old leather books have little um, ridges that go mm -hmm. across the spine mm -hmm. so we're looking at adding those if the funding comes through correctly metallic gilt edges so gold edges um, the new cover design which we've discussed is a full color map that will be at the front and back of the book um, we have some other surprises that we can roll out um, that I sort of um, have tucked away um, and yeah, new interior art. Um, there's something quite fun happened. The artist drew a picture um, when Azara goes to Dragon's Hold, which is where um, the dragon riders live. Um, she has to fly with the Dragon Queen to impress everybody. She's got a series of tests she has to pass. And the Zarusha, the, the Queen of the Dragons, decides that she's going to fly a loop. So, you know, upside down, round in circles. And that has only been done 20 years beforehand with her previous rider. Um, she, the previous rider managed to fly a loop. And so Zarusha wants to show people that Azara is her correct rider. She's come from a place where people don't believe in dragons. Everybody's scorning her and disparaging her because she's, you know, ignorant and backwards. <laughs> and Zarusha decides to prove it. So the artist drew a beautiful picture of Zarusha. Um, flying upside down with Azara on her back above a mountain range. And then I sort of said to him, mm, you know, um, 
maybe we should look at different poses for the dragon. And he came back to me with the dragon in various poses, sort of starting the ascent, flying round to go, and then upside down, and then coming down, and then straightening out again. And we looked at those, and I said, oh my goodness, they're all gorgeous. Can we include them all in the book? And he's like, sure. So now we're going to have you know, five pages in a sequence where people can flip the book and actually see the dragon spinning. And then uh, a friend of mine said, oh, those are really cool saw them online and said, let me make a video of that for you. So now we have a video of Azara flying around and around in a loop. It's black and white because these are black and white illustrations for the interior of the book. Um, uh, so uh, people have those five pictures in a row that they can look at. It's very cool. Yeah. And as we hit stretch goals, we'll be adding in coloured art, you know, hubs on the spine, as I mentioned, and art from different artists as well so that we get... Um, all, all who have a similar sort of fantasy style, but um, just so we have, you know, there's, there's artists that my readers love who have they said, can they be involved with the project? So, yeah, if we hit really high stretch goals, then we'll be able to add in some additional art as well. So it's, it's a fun process, you know, having people vote on what they want and what they want to be included and, um, and the type of book they'd like to see. Okay, that sounds great. I can't. I I wish I could get one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted to um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I really, really, and always enjoy talking to you. And I wish you a lot of good luck with your Kickstarter. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sherry. It's been great to chat. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs>